Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 394. My name is Brando. We got a two-interview episode for you today. So coming up later on under Appetite for Discovery, she is a model and singer. You may have seen the Revolver magazine article about her and her cover of Rocket Queen. Pretty cool cover of Rocket Queen. So we'll talk to her about that. Uh, but first, this guy has shared the stage with every a-list person you can think of he's best known as the the saxophonist for billy joel he is also the the musical director for ringo star and his all-star band but in addition to that i mean he's shared the stage with john lennon and uh, elton john and well yeah axel rose if you remember a few years ago and axel joined billy joel on stage so you bet we're going to talk about that in addition to his brand new book sideman in the pursuit of the next gig Mr. Mark Rivera, how are you, sir? I'm swinging, Brandon. How you doing? Swinging. I like that. I'm going to use that <laughs> phrase from now on. I think I'm going to learn a lot from you, I think, today. Uh, how long did it take you? Or I guess, you know what? The first question is, when did you decide to write a book, Sideman, in the pursuit of the next gig? Because it's really interesting, not just with you, who you've worked with, but your thought process and everything with uh, your career. Well, it was uh, in the beginning of COVID, I was... Just pre-COVID, I'd met a woman named Betsy Berg, and she's a speaker's uh, rep. She was, I see a cat. <laughs> I just saw that. <laughs> yeah. she's, a, she's a speaker's rep, and she wanted to do, she, she asked me, uh, or I was asking her, I'd love to do some speaking engagements and play a couple of songs. In other words, like a Q&A about my career. And she said, I think it'd be a really powerful thing for you to have a book. And I'm like, yeah, memoir. Like, that's what you write just before you're like, you fall off stage and die. or <laughs> you, you, You've got, you've turned to dust. And she said, no, it'd be great for you to have that in conjunction with doing the speaking. And mm. I was hemming and hawing. Uh, and then all of a sudden COVID hit and we came back from our gig. It was March, I want to say 7th. We'd just gotten back from uh, Mexico City with Billy. And by March 14th, or no, 17th, it was St. Patrick's Day. And my wife and I caught COVID. Mm. So we were down. And then the next thing, Billy, everything shut down. The entire industry shut down. The, the, the whole country shut down. So the the fact that I couldn't perform, I had to do something. And I met this gentleman, Mike Ponce, who is the co-writer. And it became this cathartic, almost uh, almost like meeting with my therapist uh, twice a week. Huh. And I'd find myself uh, on the room. There's a room up by the house. I, I, I bought her on uh, uh, like Game Preserve and an apple orchard up in Brewster. And I'd find myself looking out the window and reflecting, <clears throat> excuse me, because I had a heck of a lot of time to reflect. So I took that time to write a book. And it was just a matter of me speaking. It was almost... 
it was all the book itself is basically stream of consciousness or or unconsciousness or whatever you want to call it Mm. and i had the chance to reflect and on the good and the bad because i'd be lying if it was all roses uh but those other times when i'm driving up the uh garden state parkway and i'm I'm really not i'm broke my wife was cutting hair again so i could borrow 50 bucks so i can get in the car and do some auditions or whatever the case might have been and i'm pulling over to the side of the the, um i'm picking up coins to to pay the toll wow yeah so i think that the, the thing that i enjoyed i guess the word is enjoyed because it was hard the thing that i'm most proud of is how vulnerable I allowed myself to be because uh, I could have done, I'm friends with Chaz Mamateri and I was going to do a one man show. And he said, uh, well, what's it about? I said, well, it's about a kid from Brooklyn. I played in this band. I did this. I did that. And he said, so it's about all the great things you did. I said, yeah, he goes, I can't be say exactly. He said, but who gives a blank about that? And I'm thinking, what the hell do you mean? He said, you got to tell people that you, it's like the ashes in Phoenix that you that you that you had real depth and you had problems and that you were able to come out of it. And I thought to myself, if I can't tell people that I had some rough times, people want to know that they can relate to you. Yes. Yep. You, you know, uh, if you're if you're Aaron Judge, people talk about the the the, the guy who's who's a lock. He's everybody wants him. People think that he's irre, uh, unapproachable. I'm a regular guy. I have a wife, two kids, a grandson, and I struggled to put them through college. I did all this stuff, and I'm still working. So I'm not pursuing the next gig, per se, but I am working on my career and enjoying the fact that I have a career. It's a reflection on all the things that I've been through all this time. From the first time I met Mick Jones and when Mutt Lang said I was the right guy to to do a Foreigner show, to do a Foreigner album and do the tour. And that only came about because I was in a band called Tycoon that he produced and we didn't even want to use it. We didn't even know who he was. Clive Davis insisted on it. And all these things happen for a reason. And you have to, re- you have to think back. What if? What if Clive offered us that money, and then Atlantic turned around and offered us another $20,000. Would we have gone with them? And would I have ever met Mutt Lang? And would I have ever been introduced to Mick Jones? Mm. No. It's um, allowing, I keep saying this, allowing the universe to unfold. And that's the, that's the greatest gift. You know, staying out of our own way is a job. Because we think, you know, what, what did John Lennon said? Life happens while we're busy making plans. You're really speaking my language. Uh, for one, I am. I was born in Brooklyn, so, oh, right. Where so about? Mill Basin. Okay, sure. I like to refer to myself as a Brooklyn Jew as opposed to a Long Island Jew because I okay. moved. I moved when I was one and a half, but I like to still okay. say I'm from Brooklyn. My family's from Brooklyn, and I understand. I'm a Yankees fan, so I understand oh, the uh, the Aaron Judge uh, reference, but. Just like how I, I, I you know, I, I work for iHeart. I work with our tour producer today, Bill, and I have a radio job. But, you know, th- this podcast that I do is giving me opportunities to interview people like you. But I'm always thinking, what's next? It's like a, a job at iHeart wasn't good enough. You know, what, what's next? This, you know, I'm interviewing Mark Rivera, which is amazing. Okay, what's the next interview? What's next? <laughs> so it, it's, I identify with that because other people you know, especially fans, maybe people not in the industry look at you and how successful you are and be like, wow. 
look at all the success that we think that he has and how vulnerable he really is. And it is really relatable. Well, I'd hope so, because that's I believe that's one of the biggest purposes of doing this. Um, There's all these and it's not like self-help stuff. It's a matter of um, how we deal with the the, the, our inadequacies. It's it's saying, you know what? I hurt. And I uh, uh, the one great line, I forget who the person was. They said perfection just simply gets in the way of getting it done. If perfectionism, uh, people who worry about making it perfect, they'll never release anything because nothing. There is no perfect brand, and we all uh, we're uh, from Brooklyn. We know that. I know. It's we taken, know that. I mean, I'm, you said it's like therapy, and I've I've been in therapy for over a decade. And you're right. It is a perfection <laughs> thing that I try not. I try to get away from and allow mm-hmm. the the flaws to just. It's okay. Like a flaw is. It doesn't have to be a negative thing. It's just part of who you mm-hmm. are. And, uh, yeah, let the universe unfold as it should. Uh-huh. I, I, I know you're sorry because uh, I could feel like I could talk to you forever. Another Brooklyn. Boy. No, no problem. Go on. Uh, it's because it's um, I know you're you're limited. You have another interview coming, but I use one of the perfection analogies all the time with the the theme of this podcast: Guns N' Roses and an Axl mm-hmm. Rose and Chinese democracy. How it took him all these years to put out, and he's trying to perfect it. Right. Uh, so what I do, in addition to just talking to great people like you and learning your stories, is use a six degrees of GNR bacon. <laughs> so, so I'm assuming you could tell me more if there's more. But uh, Axel joined you and Billy Joel on stage a couple years ago at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, for a couple of songs. So I just wanted to know what, what how is that experience? Do you know how it came about? Because uh, it was it was a surprise. To, well, I believe to, they were playing. I, I believe they were playing the following night. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were sharing our stage. It was completely, no one knew. And if I, if I remember right, he was um, doing um, ACDC. Yep. It wasn't a Guns N' Roses show, correct? Yeah, it was a, what I like to call Axel DC. I got to see that Axel DC. at, at Madison well, look, Square Garden. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I, look, I'm very good friends with, with Brian Johnson. And the guys, that band, that band is iconic. Billy, the Billy actually uh, inducted them into the Hall of Fame. And... You know, I, I, and not to, to say anything, this one didn't do that, but those were insane shoes that Axel had to jump into. And he did a great job. Did a great job. It was very tough. Um, it's almost like people wanted it to fail. Yeah. The, 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 you know what I mean? Uh, not unlike, look, not unlike my situation when I replaced Richie Kanata. Again, I replaced Richie Kanata. Okay. So Chuck Berge replaced Liberty DeVito. No. To both those statements, no, I did not replace Richie Kanata. I still, to this day, pay the complete respect to the great solos, to the great bits that Richie put together. Those are iconic, and nobody hit those drums, and nobody played the drum bits on all those tremendous Billy Joel records like Liberty. So there's no replacing. We are the current musicians in that band, and Axel at the time was the singer in ACDC. It's a, again, it's a humbling experience. And I've never, I've never done a single gig that I didn't make at least one mistake. In fact, when I, when a mistake happens like that, I'm like, okay, I got that. I got it out of the way. Uh (laughs) You know what I mean? So now I could just, I could just, it's a regular gig from here on. And it's, you know, that gig must've been, but, but the gig itself at at Dodger Stadium, first of all, I'm playing Dodger Stadium again, baseball, (laughs) it's Dodger Stadium. And, now Axe is going to come up and do um, um, 
uh, Highway to Hell, right? Right. He did Highway to Hell, and then he came up and sang, uh, was it You May Be Right? At the end, I it was. Uh, uh, I think it was Big Shot, wasn't it? Big Shot. I beg your pardon. It was Big Shot. Yes, good man. <laughs> and it was crazy. I mean, and he, you know, he's got that outfit. He's got the swagger. He's got the whole thing. I'm like, wow, this is this is really crazy, man. This is really crazy. What's going on here? And we're, we're on the other. We're on the opposite coast. We're doing this gig, and it's larger than life. The gigs. I mean, first of all, Billy's gig in general is larger than life. Yeah. And uh, getting to do it now, we're in our ninth year of the residency, and uh, it's it's just amazing. And I, but I have to say that as well as what I do with my dear dear friend, and it's a friend that I work with, and I try to emphasize that word with, because I work with Billy and I work with Ringo Starr because they allow me to do my best at the job they've been that I've been given. The gig with Ringo is the most amazing thing because it's a collection of the greatest talent that I've ever, I mean, every band that I've, quote, been the band, the, the musical director of, I've had to correct people for the past 28 years. And I'm talking about correcting Sir Paul, Ringo, uh, every one of them, Colin, any anybody all, all these great musicians, Jack Bruce, I had to curl up Jack Bruce. That wasn't easy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's the, it's, it's, it's knowing how to temper, uh, there. You have to know the person you're dealing with. Again, you're a sports person. Okay. You, you, you love your sports. Yeah. You have nine guys on a baseball team. You cannot relay the same message or get the same thing out of any two players because you have to approach him. I, I actually, a friend of mine, Finn Wentworth, uh, his signatures on Derek Jeter's contract. He was one of the owners. In fact, one of the, he started the Yes Network. And he tells me about how different people approach their characters and how they meet up with people. So if I'm a manager of a team, I have nine guys, nine starting players. I can't expect one guy to react the same way another guy i mean you get a paul o'neill breaking a bat over his knee <laughs> right. he's not going to be as calm as when you speak to bernie williams who's totally chilled and i know them both i played on bernie's record and the point being you have to know the person you're dealing with and that's the art i think uh if i can call it that the the real handling of personalities uh, I think I might have said already, my father said you could be confident but not arrogant. You have to know th what your place is and being able to relay or guide someone into, we want the song to be great. Same as if you're a basketball team, we want the point guard to get uh, bring the ball up the court. It's a team effort. It's, it's 100, it, 100, no doubt, Brandon, 100%. Yeah, I use sports analogies all the time, especially yeah. where you've had lineups change, but you're kind of rooting for the the jersey for the, uh -huh. the, the brand, you know, uh, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. So, no, it's cool. I, I, I like that, and uh, I, I just want to say because I finally got to see my wife and I, Ringo, at uh, Pier Seventeen a couple years ago. It might have been oh, yeah. uh, the last concert before COVID. before COVID. Before COVID, yeah, I actually yeah. got to sit in. I got to sing, uh, play percussion on that. So yeah, we, uh, we were waiting in line, and uh, 
I what I thought was you. You were wearing like a a very nice black collared long sleeve shirt that was kind of polka dots, if I remember. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> and you you went up to the uh, the ticket booth because I was waiting on the uh, the handicap line, and you're uh-huh. like, I'm with the band. Can you let me in? <laughs> It was, it was, it was kind of funny, uh, but it, what, what an amazing show. Oh man. I can't speak highly enough of just, not just Ringo, but Colin Hay, who you mentioned and Steve Lukather. Steve, Lu- Steve Lukather is like, is a phenom. Uh, he's, but he's gl- from another planet. I mean, the, the only guitarist that I could compare him to in, in my lifetime, well, is Jimmy who's gone. And unfortunately the fact that we lost Jeff Beck so recently and you talk about it's uh, the appetite for distortion. Is that correct? Yes, you got it. Okay, the greatest guitar solo, or one of the first true distortion solos, was <clears throat> "Shapes of Things" by the Yardbirds. If I'm showing how old I am, that sound and uh, over on the sideways down, and then that stuff at the end of the song. Jeff Beck, uh, I went to see. Um, for the Fender, Fender did a thing out in in, uh, in Arizona. I think it was Scottsdale, Arizona. They had this huge stadium. Uh, it was an outdoor venue, rather. They had this huge uh, stage, and Eric Johnson, great guitar player, opened up, and Eric Johnson sang and played brilliantly. And then Jeff Beck came out, and the first thing he did was uh, Beck's Bolero. So he, <laughs> and all of a sudden, it was like Eric who. It didn't matter because Jeff Beck was so amazing, and I was at that show with Nile uh, with um, Nils Lofgren and Tommy Burns, two guitar players. And Nils turns to me and Tommy and says, and he looked at Tommy and goes, "I don't know about you, but those notes aren't on my guitar." <laughs> and because Jeff Beck would just people um, who I, uh, I'm trying to think of who it was, I think. It was maybe Pete Townsend or someone else who was talking about Jeff Beck and what they said, he would just find notes out of the ether and play. But if you can't tell, I'm a major, I I wanted to play guitar. Um, When people say, who are your your big influences? Like uh, Charlie Parker and John Coltrane. I said, no, Jimi Hendrix and Jeff Beck. That's interesting. That's who I grew up. I mean, you've read the book. I had those speakers my father had. Uh, I turned them in. They were like, you know, 100 watts per channel. And I, they were like my the original headphones. I could tell you the notes that Beck was playing on the second guitar on the Truth album, which is, to me, one of the greatest albums of all time. And it's, I'm that guy. You talk about distortion. Some of the greatest music again talk about lack of perfection is distorted and you can call it ugly but the beauty is the 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 imperfection i remember um, mick jagger one time said if you want perfect then put on a, a damn cd but if you want a great rock and roll concert come and see the stones live yeah and it's true there's that slop that's in there that's you can't you can't touch it it's uh you can't. No, you can't. That's why I, I love rock and roll, and uh, I, I like the a certain generation of of rock because it, it it's not polished, and that's what it's supposed to be. Because life isn't that way. I don't identify Amen. with the with the polished. Um, hundred percent. If, if you because you have so many 
names that are, you might recognize that sound i'm in queens right now doing in my home uh-huh. studio i don't know if you heard the the fire engine going across my no, i didn't hear just now oh, okay uh, so, i'll listen i'll listen more closely next time i'm glad i called <laughs> attention to it but then uh <laughs> what did you uh learn from john lennon to kind of shift gears just um his presence his presence was amazing here i am a kid from brooklyn who's in a band called bomb that he didn't know from a hole in the wall but you're in the room with this, and I, I don't use the word, I don't throw it around because it shouldn't be, with a genius, a man who changed, he and Paul, well, the four of them, I, I, I can't negate the fact that John George and, John George, Paul, and Ringo, they all changed the course of our, our creation, of our generation, of our culture. John was the most present person and now I know Ringo as well as I do. He's he's that same person because it's cut from the same cloth. I, I'll never forget, I was living, practically living at the record plant because we were rehearsing with the band Bomf, cleaning up the garbage. Jimmy Iovine and I were in rival bands in Brooklyn, and he went out to obviously become like the mogul at, at, at um, um, uh, what's the... His, Geffen? Yeah, no, not Geffen, at... Um, can't believe i can't remember now it'll come to me but uh he's just it's ah i can't believe i'm having a senior moment but anyway jimmy and i were in rival bands oh interscope interscope Interscope, thank you and and roy sakala was the uh he'd done the the the, uh, four seasons and i'm a nobody complete nobody and roy sakala just brought me in I, i was literally cleaning trash cans at the record plant you talk about in pursuit of the next gig i was uh, literally a custodian running into mick jagger or david bowie in, in, in room uh, downstairs in a or uh watching uh listening to clarence play the solo on born to run because jimmy was doing the engineering with shelly Akis. It, it was that crazy time and john's presence he made me feel like he he was talking to me. It wasn't like, ah, said kid. It's like, oh, it was, it was an incredible sense of inclusion. And, and I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, you wrote Tomorrow Never Knows. Hmm. You sang the four, uh, the first four, the four words or the first four notes that I heard, it won't be long. <laughs> that was it. Brandon, that was it. And people say, what was the pivotal moment? My Aunt Iris, my Titi Iris, my godmother bought me the, the, the Meet the Beatles album on February 9th, 1964, before the day that they were performing on the Ed Sullivan show. And she played that record. And when the you remember when you put the when you put the needle down on the vinyl, you got <laughs> that tone, which is one of the greatest sounds because you know it's next. It's gonna be that sound that only vinyl makes. And John's voice, it won't be long. It was before the band, it was the first, it was his voice. And it was all, it, w- it just captivated me. And to think I'm meeting this guy, I always say that I stepped into, it was upstairs in Studio C because that was like, at the time it was a mixing room, but it got to be this really cool room to do overdubs in. So John's in there with Roy, and Jimmy, and uh, I, I guess I was outside, and Roy kind of waves me in, like, oh, come in. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? It was like, 
remember in uh, the Wizard of Oz when it turns to, when it goes to Technicolor? Oh right, right. <laughs> oh wow. It was See, it that, was that kind of leap into a different a different reality. Just so special. That's what I think. It's a leap into a different reality with your new book, uh, Sideman, in pursuit of the next gig. But Mark Rivera, today you are the main man. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really hope we get to do this again. Brandon, I look forward to that. And I look forward to meeting you and a fellow Brooklynite. You could take the kid out of Brooklyn, but you cannot take the Brooklyn out of the kid. And I could hear that in you. Damn right. And you're very, you're very blessed, man. God bless you. Peace and love. You got it. Take care, Mark. Thanks. I knew Mark was going to be nice. I've heard so many of his interviews throughout the years. He's come to Q1043 here in New York uh, plenty of times to work with uh, the DJs and just a really super guy. So I'm honored to finally get to speak with him myself. And it sounds like, yeah, they could be a part two at some point. Very, very kind. Uh, I, I, I talk about those radio tours, which this was a part of. Normally, if we get somebody like Mark, you know, uh, an author, a musician, uh, an actor, they might do a two hour radio tour talking to maybe 15 stations or so throughout. Mark was cool with doing three hours three hours that's a lot that is a lot of talking uh and uh for somebody who doesn't he doesn't sing but he obviously uses his breath a lot for a saxophone so hopefully he's taking a nap right now but not us still more to come on this uh, episode coming up later i'm going to talk about the matt sorum interview the stop and start i had to do with that (laughs) Uh, but first this is a segment we call appetite for discovery where we find out about a musician an artist a band a person whatever that you may not know that we discover that we guns and roses fans want to know about so uh vogue model natalie newtonboom has a new cover uh as they say nsfw cover of Rocket Queen, but the original wasn't exactly NSFW. <laughs> Before that was an acronym or whatever, Guns N' Roses was doing it. <laughs> so, without further ado, Appetite for Discovery. Rather than just throwing a bunch of songs together that we think are fun, we're going over it, you know, with a fine tooth comb and just working on everything to try. That's the goal. Very appetite. For Discovery. And now time for the Appetite for Discovery segment where we look for bands and artists that perhaps that we may not know because they're not Guns N' Roses, but this one has a lot to do with Guns N' Roses, which is great. I usually have to do that six degrees of GNR bacon sometimes to stretch the connection, but not too much with our guest today, Natalie Newtonboom. How are you? How are you doing? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm, I'm interested to learn about you and to learn about the rocket queen cover and it's interesting it's cool that i had a few listeners of mine that because i I follow uh, revolver magazine just being a rock fan and wanting to keep up to date and they inbox me check out this cover that this person did and then all of a sudden just in my my email with certain interview opportunities hey do you want to speak with natalie yes yes i do so it just worked out so thank you i uh, i I appreciate you taking time out because you must be pretty busy I have to I have to imagine. Yeah, I'm getting busy, but honestly, I always make time to talk about Guns N' Roses and, you know, all things rock, so. Cool. <laughs> well, before we get to the video and, and Rocket Queen and that song itself has quite a history and just with this GNR podcast, I could probably do a whole episode just on that song. But to learn more about you, because uh, being a musician and a model, those are things I'm not familiar with. You know, I, I have no musical talent. That's why I'm in radio. 
it took me a while to realize I can grow a beard. I didn't grow up that good looking, so I didn't have to model, uh, you know, aspirations, <laughs> I guess. So uh, how do you, how does one get into that? Which came first, I guess, the chicken or the egg, the musician or the model? Uh, where, how did we get here today? Well, music has always been with me since I was, you know, born. So music has definitely been a part of me before modeling ever came around. But I would say career-wise, definitely modeling. Um, about when I was 16, I was scouted by an Instagram – or I was scouted on Instagram by an agency, um, Natural Models. And they DM'd me, and they are like, hey, do you want to be a model? And I was like, sure. Um, <laughs> Why not? Just like that on Instagram, which could be sketchy, but you obviously did your research before anything else. Yes. Yes, I did. (laughs) Um, I'm very lucky. I have an older sister who has been in modeling longer than me, so she could, you know, be like, hey, this is a legit agency. This is not a legit agency. So, yeah, I'm very lucky. (laughs) I've seen one too many horror films also, by the way. I do a a spinoff podcast, Appetite for Horror, and I think uh, Starry Eyes. I think you maybe you want to see that one. It's about a a model mm-hmm. that should not have gone to that agency. Anyway, I'm getting derailed. Oh. I'm getting derailed well, here. <laughs> I do want to say something about that. I okay. am in a horror film coming up. Ooh. Probably gonna come out um, soon, and it's called Model House, and it's about you know models in a horrific situation. I shall say so. Okay. Oh, so yeah. then. Uh, this interview's not even going, so now I want to have you back for Appetite for Horror, so we'll, we'll cross that yeah. bridge when it happens. Uh, but musically, what did you play? And obviously you, you sing, so uh, what were maybe your, your first loves? Was it Guns N' Roses? Were you, were you listening to, which I'm, uh, my, my, my wife and I are doing a couple uh, months, and we're going to get the GNR lullaby, those out. Oh, my God. They make a Van Halen one. So I'm just curious, how did you grow up uh, musically, and uh, how did it shape your taste? Well, it's really interesting because I, my dad listened to everything growing up. My mom didn't really listen to much music, but my dad was always playing like everything. So he'd play mostly R&B and like a taste of rock and a taste of jazz. And and so I always had a lot to listen to. And I remember like one family trip in North Carolina, he was playing um, Breaking Benjamin. And I was like, what is this? Like, I've never heard anything like this. And he played um, Ozzy Osbourne, um, and I was like, wow, I'm obsessed with this. And ever since, I've just had, like, this love for rock music. There's just something about rock music specifically and the sound of an electric guitar that really speaks to my soul more than any other genre or instrument. But I do not play any instruments other than piano, and I sing. Oh, piano. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, but I'm like not amazing. That's why I, I don't say like I play, play, Fair. but I know Fair a enough. few things, you know, and I write songs on the piano, so yeah. Okay, that that's cool. And I know it's kind of faux pas to ask, I mean, early 20s, because I like asking uh, and finding out with this GNR podcast when you become a fan. So you don't have to, I mean, is it known you're, you're like how you're what, yeah. you're, how, you're 20, you're early 20s, right? Yeah, 22. 22, okay. So uh, so that's why I see I'm going to be ugh, 40 this year. I'm, I'm, gonna, uh, uh, I'm holding <laughs> on to my 30s as long as I can, but I uh, became a fan of rock music through my dad, you know, and the Doors and Led Zeppelin that were was popular before me. So that's why uh, interesting to hear like Breaking Benjamin. What's, what's that? Uh, so what about the first time you heard Guns N' Roses? Because again, for me, they had already broken up 
but the time they became uh the time i really became uh, music became my thing and mm-hmm. it's one thing to hear the songs in the radio and then you buy the album and you hear you know curses and sexual moaning and everything so uh it, it was a step up i mean ozzy's pretty dark but yeah. it would, gnr shocks you so Uh-oh. Yeah, definitely. I I remember my dad would play like Sweet Child of Mine, um Welcome to the Jungle, all all those hits and um I loved Welcome to the Jungle, you know. I was like, "Holy shit, I couldn't even tell what was happening in the very beginning of the song. I was like, is that wind? Is he screaming? I was just so many questions. And recently, um like right before I decided to do the Rocket Queen cover, Um I had a dream about the song Sweet Child of Mine. Like I had already listened to the songs and I had a dream about that song. It was playing in my dream and then I was like, okay, I'll, I'll just listen to it like um on the train back from New York. So I listened to it and then I was like, hmm, I've never really like listened to the rest of their stuff, like, you know, past the hits, like their full album or anything. So I'm going to listen to it and I just shuffle played and Rocket Queen came on and I was like, am I hearing this correctly? <laughs> like go was like, "Wow, it completely opened my eyes. It was like taking a drug for the first time, you know? Um and so ever since then I've just been addicted to that song and addicted to like reading about Guns and Roses and you know their history and all that good stuff. And that's why I I liked your the passion and the new life that you brought to it. and why I asked about the age before because looking at something through the lens of the 80s today mm-hmm. is very different you know than it was back then things that might have been cool back then aren't cool now and how you've made the video of, of uh and the song very female empowerment where a lot of people may not associate guns and roses with that you know thinking that it's uh degrading yeah, but if you do your research yeah. the weren't that kind of a band they weren't like the motley crew kind of a band so yeah tell, yeah i agree with you on that so tell us i guess about the uh the spin and the, when you made the decision to cover rock and queen and 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 what everything that went into the into the video so it's just amazing how it all came together cuz like right after i was listening to that i was just flying a lot for modeling and so like on these 6-hour flights back and forth to like New York and stuff I would just listen to that song and I would listen to you know the live performances of it and it's just so interesting how it translates to the live performance and the energy that Axel especially brings in the vocals and I was like oh I I can't do Axel's voice but I definitely relate to that energy that he's using while he's singing and so when I got home I put on my mic and I was just singing along to it and I was dancing and I was like wait a second I could definitely do a cover of this you know and so I just you know I was talking to producers at the time I was like hey do you think we can make this something new and something fresh and we just started talking about like okay well we can you know simplify the drums and add synths to it and you know when i was recording i was like okay well i can't do axel voice it's just impossible like you can't emulate <laughs> axel rose like good luck to anyone who tries right. but i tried it i was like i can't do that so i really had to discover who i was as an artist as i was covering that song and 
that was a really interesting process. So it probably took me like a couple of days just to find the right voice to use that would bring that same energy he brings. Um, and then the music video, I had just done a shoot with Christiana, who's the rocket queen of my video. And she had this amazing energy on set. I've never worked with a model that could move like that. Like there's models and then there's like models who bring like talent and like embody whatever, you know, you tell them to embody, they, they're just like fluid, you know, <laughs> they're just amazing. And so I was like, so enamored by her. And I was like, that is a rocket queen. She's like wild. She's bold. She's playful. She gives no fucks. And I was like, I need to have her in my video. And so I hit her up and I was like, Hey, would you be willing to do this? And she's like, the fact that this is not a pop song, I will do this. She's like, this is cool. I will definitely do this. So, and then on another shoot, I just met other people who, you know, wanted to do music videos. I had overheard them be like, hey, I want to do a music video. And I was like, oh my God, would you do this music video? And so they heard the track and they fell in love with it. And it just all came together amazingly. So <laughs> I'm very grateful for that. And it's cool to vibe again in, you know, like it's almost like a pop song. I, I hear it's like I think it's on the live era album, the Guns N' Roses. Well, here's the nerd in me, the air quote live because they kind of beefed up some of the audience. But Slash, in the, during the breakdown, being like, "Come on, guys, you can dance to this shit." And usually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> where he takes an extended solo, and it is that kind of song that it is very dancey. Uh, yeah. In addition to it just being a, a rock and roll song. And lyrically, talk about, I guess, the lyrics, because that's the, what's amazing about Guns N' Roses and Guns N' Roses fans. It's you, you can identify with the feel of the song, you can, with the look of the guys. But lyrically, when they get down, when you get down to it, just, again, why they're different than other bands, the way they write songs, the story they're trying to tell. So I mm -hmm. guess, what, is there a story you're trying to tell with this song, even though it's obviously Axel's lyrics and whatnot? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, this video never came out, but I did film this video basically talking and breaking down the lyrics and what they meant to me um, as I was singing them. Because I, another thing that I was taught by um, a singing coach is basically when you sing a song, you want to take down like two lines at a time and you want to really think about how you're singing them and what each word means and what words to emphasize because you can't put all your breath and energy in every single word so um i would do that when i was uh recording that song and it really made me think about the lyrics you know in a new way and so to me the song is kind of like i'm the shit and you're the shit and we can be the shit together so it's kind of like an invitation it's like come party with me come be wild i'm wild you're wild like and and like you said it's a very dancey track and i think that's why i like it you know more than the other guns and roses songs because it has this different feel that you don't really get from guns and roses well, yeah that's that's cool and it's it's interesting that because it wasn't a single but if you talk to a lot of Guns N' Roses fans, I put up polls on social media, like, what's your favorite song of Appetite? And Rocket Queen comes up like almost like 70%, 80% of the time that Rocket Queen is the favorite. And, and that wasn't the the song on the radio. That was one of those, mm -hmm. like, like your first reaction to it. Are they, is that a girl moaning? Is that really happening? <laughs> and that really, really happened. And it's just like a, a, such a time capsule 
and uh, just so you can just go back and almost relive it <laughs> in this awkward, yes. in this awkward phase. Did you try to, um, or any hopes to reach out to any of the GNR guys? I know Slash is always collaborating, or is it your hopes to that they hear it? You know, uh, maybe a. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's actually really funny. I feel like I was, I'm supposed to do this cover because I actually know quite a few people that know them, like personally. I believe it. Um, in fact, one of the people that I hit up to originally add the moans to my track, which I ended up scrapping the whole idea, but I, you know, I hit up this one girl who I felt like, okay, she would be down to do it. Um, and she was like, oh my God, this is so funny. I actually know him and I, I can't say how, but um, she knows him and she's like, it's tickling me pink that you hit me up specifically and you didn't even know that I know him. And then I would just talk to other people about it and I'd be like, oh, like, in fact, the people that I met who did the music video, there was another person on set that day that like knows them so personally, like it's insane <laughs> how many people like the synchronicities, the connections. So I would love for them to listen to it and let me know what they think. But I'm also a little scared, <laughs> you know, because I have no idea like if they're going to like it or not. But of course, you know, it would be nice to be like recognized by them and, sure. you know, of course. <laughs> I, I'd like to think the same thing with myself. As long as the intention is good, they'll like it. Hopefully that's that's the main part of it. Uh, I mean, are you aware that Duff's wife, uh, Susan McKagan, is a very famous uh, mat, uh, model and daughter is also May McKagan? And, I mean, I'm putting it out there in the universe. You should collaborate with Grace McKagan because she's model slash uh, musician as well. Uh, her band, The Pink Slips. So just... Putting cool. it out there. Yeah. Does she do rock or is yeah. it another? Oh, yeah. sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I was thinking like maybe that was the world because they're, uh, Duff is obviously because of his family, huge into the fashion world. I mean, Axel has played fashion week at least a couple times. So you never know. So I'm not, while it, it is cool and, and surprising yet yeah, that you found people that know them at the same time, you never, this is a small world. <laughs> Yeah, you just never know. I'm, you know, definitely putting good vibes out there, and I hope they're returned. <laughs> and, uh, what are the, the plans? Because I know it's the single and the video, and you're doing a lot with modeling. Is there are there more Guns N' Roses covers in the future, or just more music? What is uh, what's the plan? I actually really fell in love with um, Doctor Feelgood by Motley Crue, so I considered even doing that as a cover, but. The thing is, is like I can only do covers for so long before, you know, I I really want to put out my own music too. So I've been working on original songs and um, that have quite the similar feel. And I'm just hoping that, you know, it gets well reception and people love it as much as they love Rocket Queen too. So uh, I'm, I'm into it. Um, as somebody, again, who's going to be... 40 and I, I you know I obviously I love talking about Guns N' Roses at the same time I, I love it seeing when it's inspiring younger people I can't believe I'm saying that too I'm actually I'm not that I'm at that age uh, I, I guess so it, it is cool to not just have their music interpreted by you but you to create your own stuff with that same kind of vibe and feel because that's what I like for music or anything that I enjoy uh, horror movies or anything I like that GNR vibe of it being raw authentic a little bit uh maybe taboo or scary at times but at the end of the day it's again it's all the intention 
and uh so it, it is really cool um to, to meet with you today and to, and to speak with you and to kind of know you a bit but i don't know the little boy or, or girl behind you the little pup behind you oh so i'm dog sitting oh, okay and, uh kobe right here or cody my bad i always get their names uh, it's up. not your dog so i forgive you i guess yeah <laughs> cody um, and I got uh, this guy here, Jax, oh, and then I got um, this guy over here, which is oh, three dogs. <laughs> so many. Oh wow! I would be good thing we're on Zoom because I'm allergic to dogs. Oh uh, really? Sneezing. Wow. I'm also allergic to cats, and I have two, so I get cat allergy shots. That's how I live my life. very rock and roll, man. It's horror. Wow. I'm all That's about <laughs> Guns N' Roses, horror, and cats. That's what I'm about. I love that. You should get an air purifier if you don't have one. That really helps like visitors who come over to my house because I also have dogs and cats and that does wonders. <laughs> we got two of them. And I've tr- I tried everything before getting the shots. Put it that way. That wasn't, you know, I, I have tattoos. I'm okay with needles, but I have no idea. I, I, I have to, I've been getting them for like a year. It's, it's ridiculous. If I don't get them, I have a tr- I can't breathe, so I, oh. I, I don't. I'll, then I'll to tie it into Guns N' Roses, and then I'll be in a coma, and I don't really want that. To <laughs> That's my my my, my segue. So uh, <laughs> thank you, Natalie, and then uh, keep us posted on what you're doing musically, and of course, definitely the the horror movie that you have coming out as well. Definitely, yes. Thank you so much for your time and this wonderful opportunity. It's great speaking with you. You got it. So two guests today, at quite the opposite ends of the. Six Degrees of GNR Bacon Spectrum, I guess you could think about it that way, with Mark Rivera being the wily old veteran, you know, having worked, you know, with with Beatles, let alone Billy Joel and Axl Rose, but with actual Beatles and Natalie kind of be starting her career and all making those connections to, to Guns N' Roses right here in Appetite for Distortion. So let's do another segment we haven't done in a while. Oh, you'd like this one. News. Shotgun news. Some of this news is old news by now, by the time I'm doing this this episode. But as I always say, the conversation continues in between the broadcasts on social media. So I've been talking about it. Of course, you know by now, Guns N' Roses sponsored Eric Jones in the Daytona 500. At first, it was like, why are they doing this? I certainly didn't know. I was like, are they just doing this for fun? Because Axel... And Fernando, I've been known to like racing and NASCAR and indie, you know, indie cars, and I think he's doing it for money to burn. I don't know, but so, but it came out a few days later, and it was kind of expected by most of us Guns N' Roses fan that fans that a new tour was going to be announced. I, I felt that a, I knew that a a U.S. tour was going to be announced for sure. I knew it was coming. I want to say. For sure, but I had a really good feeling that it was happening, and I didn't put two and two together. I just didn't think about that. It was just really well clever. It was a very clever way to promote and credit where credit is due. It was, I think, a, a real success. It got people talking. The I'm not a I'm not a NASCAR fan. I'm not going to pretend that I am. I know all the big names, you know, Jimmy Johnson and rest in peace, Dale Earnhardt. You know, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and uh, who's the one that looks like Speed Racer? Jeff Gordon, you know the the big names. I, I know who they are, but I'm not much of a a fan. I'll be honest with you. But however, I look at it. Most NASCAR fans 
are going to be Guns N' Roses fans. So they really hit their base, our base of, of who Guns N' Roses fans are. And it was cool. I think it was it was a very, I at first, again, I was like, what is this? But once I saw all the hype around it, and most of you, I think, got me more excited about it because I was like, all right. You know, I, I got rid of my cable, <laughs> uh, so I wasn't able to watch it, but it got a lot of non-racing fans, a lot of non-NASCAR fans to watch. So it was a home run for NASCAR for sure. It was interesting that you know they ran a commercial during the race and they had the announcers talking about it that Guns N' Roses are going on a worldwide tour and go to GunsNRoses.com for more information and it had virtually no dates on there. I think it just had like one UK date on there. So uh, that, I don't know if that was by design. They kind of got people like, oh, like let's keep going back. We got to see the update. I would think it would make sense to, hey, go to the website. Here are the dates. The dates came out a couple days after. Um, I personally, as a New Yorker, I'm excited because I, I am I am going. I am going to go again to New, New Jersey, uh, MetLife Stadium, where the Jets and Giants play of the NFL. And that's the only part I'm disappointed in. I'm tired of MetLife Stadium. So if you're a local, it's just, uh, I know they're doing a big arena tour, but if you're, or stadium tour, but if you, I was thinking about, and perhaps if I didn't have a kid on the way, I would have go to Fenway Park this time. Go to Boston. They're playing, I think, a couple dates there where the Red Sox play. I would have loved to see Guns N' Roses play Yankee Stadium or City Field where the Mets play. That's what I would like this time around. So that's my only disappointment. So that said, I bought my tickets. I didn't get night train. No pre-sales. So I waited till like the Monday that they were on sale to the general public. I got my handicap seats. I will be going to this concert, uh, my first Guns N' Roses concert in a wheelchair. If you're not, haven't been keeping up to date with all the podcasts, I mean, it, you should at least know I have a neurological disorder, but I usually walk around with a cane and and braces, leg braces, which I still do for the most part. However, a couple concerts that I've gone to, including the Buckethead one, it's just, it's too much for me with the amount of people and just... Yeah, it is even a lot of places are accommodating like uh, Buckethead was a little interesting because it was a smaller place. Um, it wasn't as accommodating as other places could be bigger places. Like when I went to Madison Square Garden for Jane's Addiction and Smashing Pumpkins, they were it was kind of like almost rolling out the red carpet for me. I guess pun in the word roll. However, I, I, I guess feel so much more comfortable now in a big setting like that to be in a wheelchair. So um, it'll be interesting. So I, I have like section one something. I can't, at least for the time I was getting tickets, I couldn't get that close. I really wanted to get close this time around. I'm like, you know what? Um, by this time, my, my son would be three months old, which is so weird to say by now because we're doing less than two months. Uh, not going to take him that early to a GNR show. Too loud. I thought about it, but I'm like, eh, we'll get somebody to babysit that night. But it's the last probably big expense I could do because I'm certainly trying to save money now. Because uh, rumor has it kids are expensive. So, and, and by the way, I appreciate because I do have a baby registry up. Shout out to G from Scotland who's done our logo, a lot of the animation you see in the videos, like this, the the shotgun bullets. He uh, he bought and his wife bought us a quilt, or to say a big blanket. 
almost looks like a quilt, but it looks like a kilt, something that Axel used to wear, as he said. So I appreciate it. Thank you for that. Um, And it wasn't on the registry at first. He's like, we want to get you this. I'm like, all right, I'll put it on the registry, make it easy for you. So um, hint to perhaps some of the the rest of you. (laughs) Diaper fund. That is the big button here. Press the diaper fund. That's what uh, I need. So just... I it would be I was gonna maybe like be as close as I can with handicap seats, but I really couldn't get that close. So it's still interesting the venture, and I'll definitely be reporting from the uh, as much as I can the whole day of and what I can during the show of the the New, New Jersey show again. Guns Rose. Will they have a new song by that time? Let's hope. Let's hope. That's a whole other conversation. And I put also put out there, wherever you are in the world, and if you're going to see Guns N' Roses, if you want to do a, a, a review on this podcast, see, I could fuck up English too, because there are some people who are worried, depending upon what part of the world, oh, my English isn't so good. It's okay. We will find a way to communicate. And if you have you know, a grandma that speaks both languages that can help you translate, you know, or whatever it is. If you have a, a, you know, a young son or daughter that is perhaps more bilingual than you, that might not be a Guns N' Roses fan, but it's going to help us out. I could do radio with anybody. I really can. We can have fun with it. I obviously screw up the English language. I get excitable with Guns N' Roses. So, um, you know, I try to kind of find the balance between reporter, analyst, being professional and then just talking like myself, being a fan, just uh, and I obviously can go back and edit it a million times, but then it just sounds fake anyway. But I digress. So gonna see Guns N' Roses again this year. Super excited. More on that to come. Obviously the podcast, and hopefully I'll be hearing more from you. So if you want to submit, uh, it's probably the best idea to do it closer to the show because I will forget. So maybe like a couple weeks out, hit me up on on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, or the on email, the AFD show at gmail.com. You know, where the world you are and the show that you want to review. And I really literally mean where in the world you are because I've recently, I've been getting a lot of new followers on Facebook, and which is usually a good thing, but a lot of them are international. And like if it's something like Greek or Russian or Indonesia, their languages, I guess. I don't recognize, at least with Spanish and French. I've taken those in my understudies. I can kind of, you know, pick them apart. Uh, so I'm like, I'm worried about them being uh, fake. Because fake profiles. That's what my brain thinks. Oh, I'm getting more followers? No, that's got to be fake. I don't think they are because I put out there, I put this also on Twitter. Where are you in the world? Uh, what's your name? And what's your favorite Guns N' Roses song? And wow, oh, wow. Especially look at the Facebook thread. Literally, all over the world you are. So if it's just on Facebook you're following me, or if you're on the podcast, just thank you so much. I mean, Guns N' Roses having fans all over the world, duh, obviously. But for my silly little podcast and social media following, it really means a lot to me. So I, I want to travel the world again with you via Guns N' Roses. Uh, so that's part of Shotgun News. Other part, well, I'll just bring you up to date with the Matt Sorum interview in the previous episode. So what fun that was. I was not expecting to interview Matt Sorum this time around. I had an opportunity to interview Lauren Monroe and Rick uh, Allen, a uh, married couple. Rick, obviously, from Def Leppard. 
and about an upcoming event. And the last time I spoke to them was also, it might have been the same event. And I, I'm cool talking about it because it's a lot of with a lot to do with emotional healing and mental health and things that I discuss on the secondary theme of this podcast has been has been that. So I could do that, and of course use my six degrees of GNR bacon, whatever I can. And the first time I interviewed them, they spoke about their friendship with Matt Sorum. And I see this time around that Matt's going to be hosting this event along with them. And I kind of just put it out there. Hey, you know, can I get Rick and and, uh, and Lauren on again? And maybe Matt, too, if, if that's not too much. You know, what I don't expect it. And, and the fact that it came to fruition. Wow. Very cool. And like a lot of my interviews, which I know is not is not what the diehards want, where it's not like I'm on a half an hour with Matt Sorum and it's asking him every single question about Guns N' Roses, Velvet Revolver, Axel Slash, everything. This is a different, it, it has a subject and that subject is that event. And which was cool. And I knew towards the end, I was not told no, not to talk to talk about anything. And Matt by himself brought up, you know, some GNR stuff and bring it up when we spoke about Kings of Chaos, because I knew that was the current thing with Matt talking about the song he did with with Slash and Duff. So he brings it up organically himself. So that was cool. But he starts talking about this big Kings of Chaos show at the Grand Prix. Uh, A lot of like all star band uh, living up Corey Glover. Uh, it's going to have uh, Gilby Clark, Corey Taylor, Lizzie Hale, the list a uh, Rome from sublime list is ridiculous. And I'm like, I've never heard of this. He must be breaking this on my podcast. And then he's like, Oh yeah, this is, this is coming out soon. Yeah. So I'll just say it now. And it wouldn't be the first time news of it has been broken on my podcast. I'm like, wow, this is great. So that makes me even more eager to put it out. And yeah, I always say this too. It's a podcast. I can release it whenever. It's not live, but I liked the live feel. So that's why I will leave in my flubs, if not too bad at times, because that I would fuck it up live. So let it be. So I get it out. Uh, I, I post the interview. I wasn't told that I couldn't by anyone. Just like whenever you think it's appropriate. And I was like, I feel... I want to make it live, so as soon as I'm done editing, I'll put it out. Put it out a few hours later after I posted it, after we did the interview, and then I get an email, urgent, please take down the episode. My heart sank. I'm like, oh my God, what did I do? And we all know the trials and tribulations I've gone through over the uh, six, seven years of this podcast dealing with Guns N' Roses related things. Who would have thought? But all it said was that Matt was not allowed to or Matt didn't know that the announcement for that con- that concert was was not supposed to be said yet, and we don't know when. If you want to take it out uh, and post it back up, and I thought about it, I'm like, I don't want to just arbitrarily, because at first I would have to shut down the episode for one, like I just have to pause it, and the way it works is like YouTube, I can easily just quickly just make it private. On social on on the podcast platforms that you have to go with through one, I go through SoundCloud, and then it goes out to everything else. So that it takes time. So it's going to take time to mute everywhere to go on private everywhere. And then I just didn't want to re-upload it, edited or because I also like the interaction between Rick and Matt when he was announcing it. So I'm like, all right, let me put it on pause. Then I found out that it's going to take like a week and a half. Like, okay. 
You know, you can announce it, which was better than I thought. Like, it wasn't going to be, like, months, which would have sucked. And I didn't know if I was going to put out an episode, you know, after that, which just didn't, I didn't. I was working a lot of my horror podcast, Appetite for Horror, in case I forget to mention that. So I put it on pause. The announcement, I get to go ahead when I can put it out the exact time, day. I set it up so my everything could be posted that at that time. But before I could pause it, Blabbermouth, bless them. I know they do clickbait, whatever, but they, I don't inbox them. Very, very seldomly do I ever inbox these media outlets and say, hey, I've done this interview. Can you check it out? I've done it not at often at all. I could probably count on one hand the amount of times over these close to 400 episodes that I've done that. I didn't do it this time. They, and they made a, an article about Rick Allen talking about McMars. And that went Ultimate Guitar and other all these other websites picked it up. But by this time, I made the episode private. So even though everyone gave me credit, no links were in there. It was a link to now a private account. Shot out to Loudwire for saying that in a now private video. It sucks. So I missed out on views. I got more name. I get name recognition again. That's what I'm probably most proud of with the Appetite for Distortion program is the name recognition. But I missed out on so many views. And, and now that it's, it's out, but no articles have been made about anything else. Even the Kings, of, the Kings of Chaos, just a press release. Not Matt talking about it. I thought he gave some fun facts, Matt, about about Kings of Chaos and Live and Let Die. That I thought maybe we would make an article or two. Or no, it's all. Even though you love the episode, uh, thank you to everyone who's who's listened. I want to give a, a special shout out to Mike Blakesky, who gave me a super thanks on YouTube, which, by the way, you can do as well to just help me. Uh, let's just call it my diaper fund, uh, the the baby brownstone uh, diaper fund to help me fund that. And, of course, just if you want to support the podcast overall, because there are certainly things that money would help with. I think you know, I want a better camera, different setup, um, website. There's a lot of things that I would do financially, but I'd rather you spend your money on yourself just letting you know these things are available if you're so inclined. So thank you to to Mike. But it just didn't get the views on YouTube that I think it would have if I didn't make it private. So if you did listen to the Matt Sorum interview already, just do me a favor. Go to YouTube. Just hit, click, play. You don't have to watch it again. Just get me back what I lost. <laughs> and uh, I certainly was going to play ball with them. I was going to say, oh, tough shit. Uh, the interview is up. It's going to screw me. No, no, you you be nice to these people. And hopefully this time around, I'll get Matt Sorum again. So, and this time it would be focused on Kings of Chaos. And he has more announcements to come with Kings of Chaos. So probably, hopefully, knock on wood, we'll get on Matt Sorum solo when those announcements are allowed to be made by Matt. <laughs> it is my connection with uh, Connect to Matt, I, I let him know. Uh, all about the interview because this wasn't even through him and he's like yeah sometimes Matt jumps the gun lol you know Uh, so we kind of just laughed about it no harm no foul whatever it wasn't anybody's fault per se just a fun little thing that happened that's all this appetite for distortion program craziness absolute craziness so what is to come on the podcast well 
I could tell you this. Another name did not expect to be on the podcast, but I couldn't be more excited to talk to him. Bobby Blitz of Overkill. The legends. The metal legends. Overkill. I want to see. I have no idea what their six degrees of GNR bacon is. If anything, I just like finding out when somebody from a band like that, what they thought of Appetite for Destruction and what they thought of that 80s, that era, when they were going harder than everybody else. And and, and Guns N' Roses that were considered hard, but did they consider, you know, who were these guys? So, And more often than not, they were like, yeah, they were the real deal. So I'm curious to see what Bobby's six degrees of Guns N' Roses bacon is. And I will just again, I want to bring up Appetite for Horror. I have a new episode out that does also involve Guns N' Roses. So I've been kind of intertwining everything. I, I just recently spoke to Gail Ann Hurd, very, very famous producer, worked on uh, the both Terminators, worked on Aliens with James Cameron, and worked on uh, The Relic, all these, The Walking Dead, Fear of the Walking Dead. She's a legend in the industry. And she gave me a piece of information I did not know because I was like, all right, let me just ask more about Guns N' Roses on Terminator 2. You know, let's see what what nugget I can uncover. And she's like, well, that's all James Cameron's idea. However, they were their first movie credit, which I, I really thought it was that movie Deadpool that they were even featured in. There was a horror movie, which, again, I, as a GNR and a horror fan, how did this movie, 1988, 1988, Bad Dreams, a horror movie, Sweet Child on the Mind, was used? I had no idea. No idea. So find out about that story on Appetite for Horror. It's Appetite, the number four horror on all your social media platforms. And, of course, wherever you could find your podcast, that's just F-O-R. Um, so if you like... Like Slash, if you're like Del James, if you're like me, and like Guns N' Roses and Horror, it'll be right up your alley, okay? And as far as the podcast itself comes, the mothership, Appetite for Distortion, no idea. No idea. So as I stated earlier, conversation always continues in between the broadcasts, social media, Appetite for Distortion, Facebook, at the AFD Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Appetite for Distortion, even TikTok, which is really just like uh, YouTube Junior for me at this point, just posting the clips on YouTube. And again, uh, YouTube is where I'm making my my slight little cheddar at all on this podcast. And I'll, I'll just say it now. I'm not going to be that dad or that parent that posts nothing but baby pictures because I have posted recently. You know, uh, my wife's dance students got her that's got us that sweet child of mine baby book. And I'm sure you've seen it. I believe that it was kind of like the love child of, of Fernando wanting to get that done. I think um, I, 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 I think it was a, the genesis of coming from Team Brazil and they wanted something for children and they because they, you know, young roadie and something Guns N' Roses related. So, you know, see all these. Young little girls, the the whole or dance or students, so like a yearbook signed it on the inside, and so we have that, which uh, is super cool. And uh, my sister in law got me or us from Etsy a a thread or like a knitting, like a knit slash, just like a person together. Even has like a cigarette, the top hat, a guitar, everything knitted. So uh, slash will probably be an easy as easy a name to say first. 
as dad might be easier to sl- the dad so if slash is his first na- his first word I won't be mad at that <laughs> uh, but I'm not gonna post a ton of pictures only only thing that's again uh, April 27th is the due date things that are guns and roses related I you know by now you know me how creative I could be and si- how silly I could be I'm gonna be fun and silly with this uh was this little guy on the way I'm sure he's gonna be my co-host most a, a lot uh, I, I got to get him a plush. I'm going to put it on the registry, like a plush microphone while I'm doing interviews because my wife will be at work and I'm going to be, I work from home. I do the podcast and uh, from home and I work from iHeart from home. So he's going to be here with me. So there might have to be pauses in the interview when he's crying. <laughs> I, it's going to be crazy. So I might do TikToks of that. Who knows? Uh, somebody, oh, we give them a shout out because I heard of the lullaby versions of certain of certain bands and stuff like that but i didn't see this so let me go on my instagram right now this is from alex arena building designer and so let me give him a shout out and it's called he's like i assume you would know this babies go guns and roses so they have a, a lot of bands actually and I, I knew that. I knew of, I, mean, I, don't, I thought it was a different thing. So he sent that to me. So thank you. I appreciate that. And he also said parenthood is both amazing and challenging at the same time with be, a beyond comprehension love attached to it. You'll be a great dad. Well, well, well thank you, man, Alex. And that's, that's been, has what's uh, been said to me, that it's like the hardest thing, but it's the most ama- amazing thing. So just getting ready. Just getting ready, you know. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm nervous all the time. I was nervous talking to Matt Sorum. So this, I'm just kind of going with the flow. Thankfully, my wife is awesome. I'm as concerned for my cats to be acclimated <laughs> with the baby. I get my wife. Are they going to be okay? I want them to be okay. They're my babies. So anyway, uh, so until next time, there'll be more podcasts in between before the kid gets here. So we will have no interruptions. So until then, when we see the next episode, and the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it, I don't know if soon is the word. No! No! Yeah! Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home. <laughs>